I'd like to ask you to stand if you would and you apologize for some of the confusion on the microphones or whatever the problem is, but that's part of what I want to talk to you about today. <laughs> if you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to depart from Joseph for a little while today. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 2. The first verse of the song we just sang, Deeper Than the Stain Has Gone, begins this way, Dark the stain that soiled man's nature, long the distance that he fell, far removed from hope in heaven into deep despair and hell. But there was a fountain open. And the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain has gone. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2, which I read from earlier this morning, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our works left out, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Is there anyone here today watching by the internet who is not guilty of sin? If you are on trial for your sins this morning, what would the verdict be? What would the verdict be? If you are as you were when you were born, the verdict would be guilty. If you are standing in the Lord Jesus Christ, your verdict would be not guilty. Our wonderful Lord has worked out a way by which we can be acquitted, and even more than acquitted, as I hope to explain, from all of our sins. And I know of no other scripture that sets this forth as clearly as our text, verse 8. And we have four things that I want to bring to your attention today, God willing and time allowing. First, that we need to be saved. Secondly, that we are told what is the basis of our salvation. Thirdly, we are told how we may partake of this salvation. And finally, we are told who is to be praised for this salvation. Let's look at the first issue here, we need to be saved. He says, for by grace are ye saved. Literally, for by grace have ye been saved. He's writing here in the past tense. To be saved is to be acquitted, is to be pardoned, is to be exonerated, is to be cleared is to be vindicated, but more than that, is to be pronounced not guilty. From this text, we see this issue of salvation. Now, Paul is writing 
to persons who are saved. If you look in chapter 1 very quickly, in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. They're called saints, and they're called faithful in Christ Jesus. Were they born saints? Were they born faithful in Christ? No, they were not. How were they born? What was their condition when they were born? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. You hath he made alive, quickened, who were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And you expressed that deadness in your walk, in your life. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world. And who was it that was inspiring you to walk that way? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now still continuously working in all the children of disobedience. First, he tells us they were born dead. You notice, hath he quickened. Most of your Bibles, if you have hath he quickened, it's going to be in italics. And that's because those words are not in the original text. But they were added by the translators to help us understand the intent of the writer. Technically, why were they added? Simply because, as I've already said, Paul is writing in the past tense. You were dead, but you're not dead now. You are alive. The old English for made alive was quickened. And to help us understand that those to whom he is writing are not dead now, at the time he was writing to them, the translators have added, hath he quickened. We can easily understand this by eliminating the italicized words. He just says, and you were dead. And this is why men and women and boys and girls need to be saved, because we were born dead. To be saved is to be quickened, to be made alive. But how were we dead when we were born? We were not dead physically. We were not dead emotionally. The Apostle Paul informs us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. And the word dead is the word, the Greek word nekros. And it literally means the one that has breathed his last, the breathless, the lifeless, the deceased, the departed, one whose soul is in Hades, one who is destitute of life, one who is without life, one who is inanimate. And we combine that with that little phrase, in trespasses and sins, it means spiritually dead. I know what we mean when we come home after a hard day's work and we say, I'm half dead, but you ain't half dead. You are either alive or you are dead. There are no degrees of deadness. And Paul says we are real dead. We're like the fellow that had the little dog named Rover. When he died, he said he died all over. We are dead, spiritually dead, destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to the God who made us because we're given up to trespasses and sins. It means to be inactive with respect to doing 
what is right. It means to be destitute of the force or of the power to perform spiritually. It means to be spiritually inactive and inoperative. This was the state into which the Ephesian saints were born and the state that we were born in, dead. We need to be saved from this state of death. The state of death in which we all find ourselves by nature characterized by trespasses and sins. Trespasses comes from a word meaning offense or fall or fault. It concerns a lapse or a deviation from the truth or from uprightness, a misdeed. The word translated sin is the word that I've mentioned to you many times before, hamartia, to miss the mark to err, to be mistaken, to wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do wrong, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law. It refers to that which is done wrong in violation of the divine law of God in thought, word, or deed. And it points to what we call, theologians call the original sin, that is the act committed by the first man, Adam, but it also points to personal sin, the acts of each of us and the acts we have personally committed. It is from the power, listen to me now, it is from the power and the guilt of the trespasses and sins that we must be saved. That is, we need to be saved not only from the guilt of the original transgression, but we need to be saved from the power of sin in our individual lives. How does this sin express this power in our lives? What is the effect of sin in fallen human beings? And he tells us, as I've already mentioned, in verses 2 and 3. We walked in the past according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now still working in all of those who are disobedient to the gospel. He said, we all had our manner of life. The old King James translates it conversation because if you listen to a person talk, you can tell what they're about. You can get the essence of their life by listening to their conversation. So he said, we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh we were about fulfilling the desires of the flesh, the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The sin affects our conduct. It affects the way our lives are regulated. Paul says our walk. And how do we walk? We walk according to the course of this world. And what dictates the course of our walk? Well, there's a power behind it. The whole mass of men are alienated from God, and they are motivated by something other than God in their walk. How else do we witness the power of sin? Paul says it's according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's working in the children of disobedience. In essence, then, he says, we became children of the devil. Children of the one who's the prime mover of all evil in the universe. We walked after him, after his example, after his leadership. After all, isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? 
God said, don't eat. Satan said, you won't die. You won't die. Listen to me and your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God. You'll determine for yourself what's good and evil. You won't need God telling you what good and evil. And we're still doing that today. We evidence that we are children of the fallen Adam in the Garden of Eden. And we became children of the devil in that we listened to him and not to God. We walked after that example, after that leadership, not realizing that we were being captivated by his power. The spirit that is now presently at work. In the Greek language here, this is in the present active. It means that he's still working. He's still putting forth his power in those who are dead in trespasses and sins. In all persons who have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. That is, all who are in obstinate opposition to the divine will of God Satan is working in them. Those persons are not protected by the power of Christ. They are not saved. And this is why we need to be saved. By nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are under the power and the control of the prince of the darkness. The word that the Bible uses to describe our condition is the word lost. Lost. Lost sheep. Lost son, lost Cohen. Christ told those little stories about that which was lost. The word which the Bible uses is lost. Unsaved persons are lost. They're lost to goodness. They're lost to obedience. They're lost to peace. They're lost to happiness. They're lost to real meaning and purpose. They are lost to God. And unless we are delivered... From that awful state, even God can do nothing with us but lock us in his prison house of punishment forever. All of us are today who are believers in Christ are delivered from this lost condition. And we should be able to sympathize and to empathize with those who are yet lost. Notice what Paul says in that verse 3. We all had our conversation in time past. We were all about the lust of the flesh. We were all about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is why when you come to know the Lord, there's a battle. You don't just slip into heaven. There's a battle. There's a battle against your flesh. You'd have to keep renewing your mind, getting the Word of God in you, and thinking God's thoughts after Him, rather than following the flesh and the suggestions of the devil. The New International Version translates this verse, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as the rest. We who claim the name and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ do not look down upon anyone who's yet lost and dead in trespasses and sins. We've been there. Once we were doomed by God's wrath, once we lay under the dreadful judgment of the Almighty, whatever we are today, 
We are by the grace of God. The second thing we notice is the basis of our salvation. Paul says that we are saved by grace. Literally, for by grace have you been saved. So grace, then, is the basis of our salvation. What is grace? Well, we struggle to define grace. The Greek term charis, I think I told you about a family whose last name was Maddox. They had a little girl, and the father wanted to name her Charis. And they said, I wouldn't name her that. Why? Because her name would be Charismatic. If you don't know what a charismatic is, well, that's a, a Pentecostal person. That's a person who today has an idea about speaking in tongues and baptism in the Holy Spirit and all those things that I think are erroneous, are charismatic. So they didn't name her that. He wanted, he thought he was doing that because that word means grace. It might loosely be translated the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence, Upon our souls turns them to Christ. He keeps us after we come to Christ. He strengthens us, strengthens us while we're walking with Christ. He increases us in Christian faith and knowledge and affection. He kindles us to exercise the nature that is now within us, the nature of Christ. It was God who determined to have mercy upon those who were dead in trespasses, in sins, and in rebellion against his holy majesty and his holy glory and his holy law. It was God who exerted his holy influence upon our souls by his blessed spirit, using his blessed word, and turned us from our trespasses and from our sins unto Christ. And having turned us to Christ, it is God who preserves us. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to Peter? Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But Peter, I know you're too much for him, boy. You just tell the devil to go back to hell where he came from. That's not what he said. He said, but I have prayed for thee. I, the, the Messiah, the Christ, I prayed for thee that your faith fail not. The reason we can persevere, the reason we can continue in the faith, is because of the preservation, the preserving work of God by His Spirit, using His Word, using divine providence, using all of these things to preserve us and to strengthen us in Christ as we walk in Him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says that God demands that we follow after holiness. And peace with men, without which no man shall see the Lord. The sense in which we are holy, the word holy, holiness, sanctify, sanctification, all come from the same term. It means that person or that thing, because you had holy forks, you had holy knives, you had holy vessels. Well, certainly they didn't do anything to be holy, did they? Did a fork do something to be holy? No. Holiness means that which is set apart, hegiazo, that which is set apart unto God for his use, for his glory, to be used by him as it pleases him. 
that we follow after this holiness, we're never going to attain a level of holiness in our lives, but we are set apart unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the holiness that God demands, and that is the holiness that God gives. By what means are we saved? What does the text say in verse 8? It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You can put in brackets there. It is the gift of God. You notice the words, ye saved through faith. You are saved through faith. Faith is the instrumental means by which we are saved. Now listen, because you're going to think I'm saying something else before I'm through this morning. I hope you listen to this statement. We are not saved by works. This is made plain by verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved. Listen, we're not saved by works, but get a hold of this now. We are not saved by faith either. That is, faith itself cannot save because faith has no power to remove our sins. I'll explain it to you in just a moment. It is the object of our faith who saves. But the Bible says that even the devils have faith. The Bible says they believe in God, and according to James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God, James chapter 2, verse 19, thou doest well, the devils also believe. And tremble. When is the last time you've seen a person trembling as they thought of the august God? However, although faith cannot itself save, one cannot be saved apart from faith. So what is the difference? Well, salvation by faith puts faith as the cause of salvation, but salvation through faith makes faith the instrument of salvation. Faith cannot be the cause of salvation because as we have seen, and as we shall see again in a moment, God is the sole cause of salvation. What is faith? With the word used here is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it's translated variously in the Bible by faith, assurance, believe, belief, them that believe, and fidelity. The word is used in its various forms in Scripture at least 244 times in the New Testament. So it's a very important word. It is taken from another word which can mean to persuade or to trust or to obey or to have confidence. The word pytho. Well, what does it mean in our verse? What does saved through faith mean in our verse? First, it means that without faith, you cannot ever be saved. If God says you must be saved through faith, ladies and gentlemen, please do not think for a moment that you can be saved by any other means. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, I believe it is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Secondly, it means conviction. What does save through faith means? It means conviction 
having a conviction that God exists, and he is the creator, and he is the ruler, and he is the provider, and he is the bestower of eternal salvation. Listen again to that verse I just quoted. Hebrews eleven six. For without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what does saved through faith mean? It means that you can't be saved without faith. It means the conviction that you have that God has given you, revealed himself to you as a creator, as your, uh, your savior. Thirdly, it means a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. The whole issue really in the New Testament is, is Jesus the Messiah? That's the whole issue. If he's the Messiah, if he's your Messiah, then you will be saved. The object of your faith must be Jesus Christ alone. You cannot be saved by trusting your church, by just trusting the ordinances of the church, by trusting anything or anyone else, certainly not by trusting your feelings. Feelings are deceiving. They come, they go. Today you feel this way, tomorrow you feel that way. Today you feel like you're going to charge the gates of hell. Tomorrow you're like the prophet Elijah who ran from a woman 50 miles or 250 miles or whatever it was and hid from her. Don't go by your feelings. We have an objective word. The objective word of God, this is what we believe. Fourthly, it means to be persuaded or induced to actually trust your soul for time and eternity to the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in God and to trust Jesus Christ are two different things. As we have seen, the devils believe in God. But the devils have not been persuaded to actually trust Jesus Christ. And you may say that you believe in God too. But unless you are persuaded to actually trust your soul to Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. And lastly, being saved by faith or through faith, it means to be willing to bow to Jesus Christ. As Lord, our willingness in your heart to obey him as your master. The Bible nowhere says believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. I believe that Jesus Christ must be received in all of his offices. He's both Lord and Savior. He's Savior because he is Lord. Therefore, he can't honestly be called Savior unless he's Lord. Now, I'm not getting into all this lordship salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the plain and simple gospel. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Then if we receive him, we receive him as Lord. This is an essential issue in the matter of being. Jesus is Lord, and he must be, I believe, and is acknowledged as such by all who are saved by him. Lord is the word, the Greek word kurios. It means 
supremacy. He's the boss. He's the one who rules. He to whom a person or thing belongs, the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner, one who has control of the person, the master, the sovereign, the prince, the chief. It is a title of honor. It is expressive of respect and reverence with which servants salute their master. Lord denotes the absolute ownership and uncontrolled power of Jesus the Messiah over me. That I am all I am and all I have and all I ever be belongs to him. When the apostles began to spread the gospel, think with me for a moment now. Beginning at Jerusalem, they emphasized the lordship of the Messiah. Listen to this. Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for sure that God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. We are told in Acts 4.33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. When Stephen... One of the first deacons in the Christian church, he was stoned to death. When he died, he said in Acts 7, 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All who were converted were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 8, 16. When Ananias was sent to witness to a blinded Saul of Tarsus, He'd been blinded on the road to Emmaus by the glorified Christ. This is what he said, Acts 9, 17. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me. When Paul witnessed of the so-called word of faith, by which he said one is saved, this is what he says. Romans chapter 10, listen, beginning in verse 8. What does it say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Spirit of God who persuades us, isn't it? It is the Spirit of God who works in our hearts. And what is the evidence that the Spirit of God has done something for us? Well, listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. May I ask why? Let me ask you this. Let's put all of the arguments aside. Let me ask you this. Why? Would one not want to bow to the Savior as Lord? Why should this even be an issue for one who is lost and yearns to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Do you realize that all of the trouble I've had in my life is when I tried to run it? (laughs) Instead of saying, Lord... The reason I got in trouble is because you're not in total control. Did you know that heaven, in heaven, that there'll be a dictatorship and everybody will be happy? 
In heaven, everything will be done according to the will of Christ. Isn't that what we're taught to pray? Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in heaven, on earth, as it is in heaven. Isn't that what we pray? His will is done in heaven, and it certainly will be done when all of this is over. Why wouldn't somebody, why would anybody want to fight about Jesus being Lord? We have the promise that anyone and everyone who is persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and will actually trust him, will be saved. And as I've said earlier, it's really more than this, but to be saved is to be acquitted and cleared and exonerated and pardoned, vindicated concerning all of our crimes against the holy God of the universe. Okay? Fourthly, who is to be praised for salvation? We'll look again at Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Seems to me that this verse says that God alone, God, Father, God, Son, and God, Spirit, is to be praised and to receive all the glory for our salvation. And three reasons are given us why this must be true. Now, this is a little complicated, but I could just point, you, point to some simple things, and you probably would get it, but I'm going to justify what I'm going to say in a little bit more complicated way. First, salvation. The question is, why should we know that all of our salvation, for all of our salvation, God alone, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God alone is to be praised for our salvation. First, because salvation does not originate with us. He said, that not of yourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Now follow closely. The word grace here, which is that word charis, and the word faith, which is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, they're in the feminine gender. You know, you got masculine and feminine. And then you got neuter. What's neuter? Neither masculine or feminine. Neutral. The word that is neuter. So this means that the word that can't refer either to the grace or the faith, but to the whole act of being saved through faith by grace. This little word of, of, at least in the King James Version, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. That's a little Greek term, ek, E-K, ek. And it denotes the point of origin of the act or the action. In other words, the act of being saved does not have its beginning in us. It is not of yourselves. It means that you're not the cause of your salvation. You'd be surprised how many people will sing Amazing Grace, but they believe they're the cause, they're the sole reason why they're saved. 
This means you're not to praise yourself for your salvation. Secondly, why is it that we know we should give him the glory? The text says it is the gift of God. And this phrase simply modifies what has already been said. Salvation is not of yourself. Salvation is the gift of God. You'll notice at least in most of your text, uh, most of your uh, translations, at least here in this King James Version, you'll note that it is, is italicized. So that means it's not in the original text. It is the gift Gift is Doron, which means present or offering. So we see not only where salvation does not originate, but where it does originate. It is given as a present from God. <laughs> and this gift in which salvation is, is the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thirdly, how do we know we give him all the glory? We read that this salvation is not of works. So faith can't be a work. Bowing to Christ is not a work. Serving the Lord might be good, but that's not a work by which you can be saved. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Titus 3 and verse 5, by the washing of, re, of, of uh, regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. So we read that this salvation is not of works. We already know what not of means. It has reference to the origin of the act spoken of, which is salvation. So works means deed or labor. Salvation is a work but it's not a work done by us. It's a work done by Christ, which we receive as a gift through faith. Now, after you're saved, you're going to be doing some works. It says right here, we are his workmanship. Verse 10. The work of, of saving us, the work of preserving us, the work of working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. All of that is God working. Lest any man should boast. Any man can be translated, lest some man. Says, well, wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. Nobody can boast. Nobody can glory. Nobody can brag. In other words, God has saved us by grace through faith, lest some man should brag or take some personal credit. So who's to be praised for salvation? Salvation does not originate with us. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation does not result from any deed or labor done by us. Salvation gives us no bragging rights. So the conclusion is God alone in the triunity of his persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is to be praised. From beginning to end for our salvation. So we need to be saved, and the basis of salvation is the grace of God, and the means of salvation is faith, and God gets all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And I pray that this day, 
will be for many of you the day that you learn to sing the song that the saints in heaven will sing. Listen to how they sing from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Revelation 7, 12, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And then Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, you say. There won't be anybody in heaven that says, well, Jesus did a lot. But he could never receive that glory if it hadn't been for me. Won't be anybody in heaven talking like that. Better not be anybody in heaven thinking like that. Everybody in heaven, if you got any crowns, you're going to throw them at his feet. And you're going to say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive the honor and the power and the glory and the majesty. For thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tribe and nation and tongue. Somebody said years ago, it said, you know, a big surprise in heaven is going to be a lot of people there that I didn't think were going to be there. And he said, another big surprise is going to be a lot of people not there that I thought were going to be there. And he said, the biggest surprise is that I'm going to be there. That'll be the biggest surprise. My friends, salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him, believe on him, and you will be saved. Dark the sin, dark the stain, the soiled man's nature, long the distance that he failed, far removed from hope in heaven, into deep despair and hell. But there was a fountain open, and the blood of God's own Son purifies and reaches deeper then the stain is gone. Conscious of that deep pollution, sinners wander in the, light, in the night. Though the shepherd's calling, still they fear to face the light. Here's a tender consolation that should melt any heart of stone. This sweet balm of Gilead reaches deeper than the stain is gone. And when we're in heaven... We're going to be singing with that multitude which no man can number of every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain who has redeemed us to God by his blood. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says, You are purchased with the very blood of God. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your soul which belongs to him. He owns it. He purchased us. Right? When with holy throngs we're standing in the presence of the king and our souls are lost in wonder as the white-robed choir sings, then we'll praise the name of Jesus with the millions round the throne We'll praise him for the power and the blood that reaches deeper than the stain 
Let's go. Let's stand together.